This is Question of the Week from BU Today. Who will be the next James Bond? In this episode, BU Today staff writer Joel Brown talks to Harvey Young, Dean of the College of Fine Arts at BU, an expert on African-American theater and a huge movie fan. Daniel Craig vowed to leave the role of iconic super spy 007 after the release of No Time to Die. Some men are coming to kill us. We're going to kill them first. With the movie now in theaters, speculation has turned to who will be the next actor to tackle the role first played by Sean Connery almost 60 years ago. I admire your luck, Mr. Bond. James Bond. Harvey Young, thanks for talking to us. We'd like you to tell us who will be the new James Bond. Well, that's a good question. We don't really know just yet. It hasn't been announced, but I think there are quite a few wonderful contenders out there. And everyone has their own favorite, whether it's Tom Hardy. Uh, My personal choice would be uh, Riz Ahmed, who was in The Sound of Metal. And I think that uh, he checks up many boxes. I think we're ready for a a non-white James Bond. I think he is a relative newcomer, you know, for most audience members. So that's, that's a surprise factor like Daniel Craig was. And, you know, I also think that he's a powerhouse of an actor. So I would love to see him in that role. There's been a lot of talk about having the first not white Bond. And the name that most often comes up is Idris Elba. What about him? Well, you know, I love Idris Elba. I think he's fantastic, you know, from The Wire, you know, through the Marvel movies and more. I think he's, he's, he's dynamic and, and, and amazing. But the catch with him is that your new Bond actor needs to be a person you want to see on screen in that active role for about 10 or 15 years. So if you think about Daniel Craig and his first film as a Bond, as Bond, he started that role 15 years ago. You know, so you want to be able to have a person who can age into the role. And if you think, well... You know, Sean Connery did it for a while. There, Sean Connery was was gray, you know, as Bond. You know, gray Sean Connery was fifty two years old or fifty three years old, and Idris Elba was forty nine. You know, so you're you're talking about fifteen years from now. I'm not sure if people are envisioning a sixty something year old Idris Elba, you know, chasing down the bad guys. Uh, so I would love to have seen him in that role. Uh, Hugh Jackman would have been great as well. You know, in, in other moments too. Uh, but I think that Idris is just too old. Any other names you've heard bandied about lately? Uh, well, Tom Hardy seems to be a favorite among a lot of people. And I mean, he's in Venom uh, currently, and, and he is a chameleon. He plays, uh, he really like dives into these roles, into the characters that he interprets. Uh, so I think he'd be a strong choice. That being said, what I like the most about uh, Daniel Craig's choice was how unexpected he was. You know, and I think that people often want to find someone somewhat recognizable in that active role and then say this person is Bond-ish or Bond-like. You know, but if you go back to Pierce Brosnan, uh, where people campaign for years thinking that he'd be the perfect bra- uh, Bond, he really wasn't. <laughs> you know, so I, I, I'm hesitant to go for the, for the known quantity uh, you know, where there's already kind of the baggage of, is it Remington Steele you're watching or, or are you watching James Bond? And I'd rather go the Daniel Craig route of complete surprise and then let the person earn and inhabit and really embody that role. So let's uh, ask the big question. Who was the best James Bond and who was the worst? Sean Connery, George Lazenby, Roger Moore, Timothy Dalton, Pierce Brosnan, Daniel Craig. Who was your favorite 
and who was not your favorite? Well, so I grew up watching Roger Moore. But James, I need you. So does England. And for me, Roger Moore was Bond because if you think about it, as a kid, his face was everywhere, right? He was Bond. And I remember talking to my father and we would debate and he'd say, Sean Connery's the best Bond. And I would say, oh, no way. It's Roger Moore all the way. And then I think when I got to college, I went back and I watched the entire, like every Bond film. And I lost my appreciation for Roger Moore. <laughs> you know, I will say that. And I much preferred Sean Connery over Roger Moore. So I would say that now, sadly, Roger Moore is actually my least favorite of all the Bonds. Uh, but I think Daniel Craig is actually my favorite. I think what he's done in terms of the, the, the seriousness, the, the depth of character, the psychological introspection how that you get with that character is, is, is amazing. And, and in a way, Timothy Dalton gave a hint toward that, but people weren't quite ready for it back then in, in the 90s, uh, whereas I think we're appreciating it in this moment. So this series obviously has been made since the early 1960s. How does a Bond movie read differently today than it did back then? There used to be Bond girls. There used to be kind of racial and gay stereotypes that were not particularly flattering. I mean, there were a lot of things in those 1960s movies that would not play today. That's true. It, it, and remembering that the Bond films are still circulating. So whenever there's a new Bond film that comes out, you know, there's the Bond retrospective in your local cinema. You know, so you're, so you're watching Dr. No and Goldfinger and, and, and the rest. You know, so those stereotypes you know, continue forward. And, and even the idea of the Bond girl, uh, like we're, we're familiar with that phrase, you know, even though that character type has been sort of revised, certainly in the last decade. I mean, but if you go back and, and think about what it was doing, it's really a product of sort of a 1950s, early 1960s imagination of, of a certain type of British masculinity, right? You know, as the empire is, is on decline, <laughs> you know, as the colonies are, are asserting independence. And it's this last sort of gasp of, of empowered white male English authority, right? Or British authority. And so if you put it in that perspective and then see how it's this person going out and engaging these others, you know, whether it's uh, stereotypical and racialized women, you know, if it's him going to the Caribbean, which becomes stereotypical, going to Harlem, <laughs> which becomes even more stereotypical within the Bond films, you know, that's what it is. Uh, but I think, thankfully and, and, and wonderfully, the Bond franchise has, has you know, quite consciously sought to revise and to undo that. You know, so the role of Bond women in, in the films are much more authoritative. Uh, they drive the narrative uh, much more um, with greater intent, let's put it that way, uh, to the point where you're looking not as character as arm candy, uh, but rather as active agents. So you're, seeing, you're seeing more uh, authoritative, more aggressive, more independent. Um, certainly you have M with Judy Dench, you know, uh, when, she, when she played that role before she was replaced uh, by Ralph Fiennes, you know, as being a person in charge, in command. And you didn't see that previously in the 1960s Bond. You know, I will add that it was those first two Bond films were, you know, had a, had a woman as a screenwriter. And it wasn't necessary to insert um, a, uh, a feminist perspective. It was actually to align the narrative more closely uh, as an adaptive screenplay with the work um, of Ian Fleming. You know, whereas I think what we're seeing now um, with this most recent Bond, it's actually an effort to uh, correct the blind spots, you know, in the mythology of Bond. 
So the other thing about Bond is that he is very much a mortal man with mortal vices and a handgun and a car. He is not a Marvel superhero with a cape and magical powers. Why do we still care about a mere mortal in the era of Marvel heroes? That's a good question. I, I mean, I think that it's the it's the everyman part of Bond that people connect to. So, so, so the, the whole idea of Bond, according to Ian Fleming, was that he didn't have any magic powers. You know, he was a very average person. <laughs> you know, his name was James Bond. It was a very bland name. And he was just a person kind of thrown to extreme scenarios. Uh, so he was supposed to be kind of the most disinteresting thing in his environment, you know, and, and that's part of the reason why the gun, uh, the uh, the car, the you know, the places he went were supposed to be so adventurous because he himself was supposed to be pretty bland, <laughs> right? And, you know, what I think is that what allows people to see themselves in Bond is the fact that that character by design was supposed to be just the average person who's thrown into extreme circumstances, right? Uh, later on, he became more superhero-esque, you know, uh, being able to do all these, you know, fight scenes and, and elaborate choreography, uh, you know, within the fight battles. Uh, but but that was the initial framing of it. But to go back to your question, I think people like the mortal. Uh, I think that's why Iron Man was so successful you know, within a Marvel franchise, uh, because he's a person who didn't have any powers uh, inherently. You know, he just kind of bought them, <laughs> you know. Or Batman is so popular within the DC universe because he has no powers. But I do think that the fact that the average person can have these extraordinary adventures, that's what's so exciting. And that's what connects Batman to Iron Man, certainly to James Bond. Can I get you something, sir? Vodka martini, shaken, not stirred. Thanks to Harvey Young for joining us on this episode of Question of the Week. Subscribe to Question of the Week wherever you listen to podcasts and never miss an episode. I'm Dana Ferrante. See you next week.